Hi everyone, David here. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. If you like what you hear and want access to more of our fascinating in-depth content on the energy transition, you need to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for just €29, which will get you full access to our website and app. We also have a wide range of subscription packages to fit you or your company's needs. Follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hello and welcome to this special live episode of What Matters, coming to you from the Resource 2023 event in Amsterdam. Uh, my name is David Weston. I am Editor-in-Chief at Foresight Climate and Energy. And joining me today in the Venice of the North is Michaela Hull from Agora Energiewende. Hi, Michaela. Welcome to Amsterdam. The Venice of the North. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I read that. I googled it and apparently that's the nickname. Um, for the past few years, Foresight and Resource has investigated the role of the public sector in the procurement of clean energy. Continuing that today, we're delving into transport and the challenges operators and authorities are facing when decarbonizing their public mobility services. Public transport operators are highly visible to the wider public. We'll probably all take buses and trains and metros nearly every day. Increasingly, these transport options are being electrified or run on low carbon power. In this session, we will look at the success stories and learnings along the way. Infrastructure, public procurement processes and public perception are some of the key challenges, but transport remains a crucial sector to decarbonize. Our guests on the podcast today are Oye Lopez de Brinas Gorosabo, Sustainability Strategist for the Stockholm Regional Authority, Paolo Marchetti, Commercial Strategy and Innovation and Sustainability Director for Azienda Transporti Milanesi in Milan, Mario Cane, International Business Consultant for Transports Metropolitans Barcelona, uh, and Julius Caden, Corporate Account Manager for ACT Commodities. Please welcome our panel. <laughs> Uh, Julius, perhaps I could start with you very briefly. Uh, more broadly, what are the trends uh, that you're observing in the transportation industry's approach to decarbonization? Uh, so I would like to start by uh, congratulating the organizers of this conference for putting uh, together an amazing conference. ACT is privileged to be a key partner to resource uh, once again. And uh, I hope everyone is not too hungover from yesterday's party. Yeah. <laughs> um, but besides organizing parties, uh, ACT is focused on being a one-stop shop for corporates to decarbonize. And in this function, we supply corporates with uh, UAs, biomethane, EACs, PPAs, everything that a corporate might need. And therefore, we're also in touch with a lot of different corporates from a lot of different industries. I personally work a lot with um, also the logistics industry and within Germany and uh, in Austria. And within this collaboration, we also see certain trends. So to answer your question, yeah. I would say, um, yeah, there's three main trends. Uh, the first one being electrification. So we are seeing an electrification of uh, operations and uh, we're seeing an, an electrification of the vehicle fleets. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say the second trend that we're seeing is uh, sustainable fuels, so a push for uh, biomethane that we're supplying to clients, but also um, bio, biofuels or synthetic fuels. Uh, the third trend that we're seeing is um, more related to uh, the data, uh, the data-driven nature of it, that we're seeing more and more startups uh, who are looking to uh, harness analytics to optimize routes um, to save not just costs, but also emissions. Um, so these are some of the main trends that we're seeing. Oh, yeah. Perhaps we could uh, come to you and I'll also come to Mario uh, and Paolo here, but starting with you, how far is direct electrification a part of your strategy and the mix with sustainable fuels in your, in your public transport? Thank you very much uh, to be here. It's really important for us to uh, speak about uh, energy transition because uh, for a local public transport operator, the amount of energy used for the city is uh, really high and important. At the moment, IKM uh, get moved every day, two million passengers per day um, are uh, dedicated to have a full fleet electric fleet. In fact, now we have 70% of our uh, journey by electric uh, vehicles, right. metro, trams, trolleybus, and so on. But we came by the 2030 to reach the full electric buses fleet. 
So now we have to change from Gezira, Masjid, to Gelecklik, Masjid. I think that this step is really important because define a clear strategy towards a zero emission and full carbon free in the city. Absolutely. Oh yeah, in, in Stockholm, how is your strategy? Yes. What's your makeup? Yes, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to represent both the uh, region of Stockholm and the public transport administration here. Um, from a point of view, uh, electrification is going to be the cornerstone of our uh, future energy mix. Uh, despite that, um, 94% of the energy we already use as of today is already renewable in that sense. But we have an overarching um, goal of uh, cutting our emissions by 50% uh, by year 2030 compared to 2019. And we know that electrification, uh, even, even though our fleet is really good in that sense, we, we run it with a lot of uh, biofuels, ethanol, um, biogas, but it's not enough. We need more, and we and we and we need more also because we want to be net zero by 2035. And then we need to do to take it to next level, and that's what electrification is for us. The next level, both for buses, but also for our board traffic, because we don't just run buses, trams, metro, and commuter train. We also have a quite extensive boat network that also needs to be partially electrified. Not the whole of it will be able to electrify as we see it right now. But even there, it's going to have a really, really big role. Uh, and Mario, finally, uh, Barcelona, uh, what sort of mix are you aiming for? Thank you uh, to let us the chance to hear. Well, I think that uh, in, Bar well, in Barcelona, we are working in, in two different lines. One is uh, one started 10 years ago that uh, is uh, optimize their routes. Uh, in order to improve uh, the number of passengers and reduce the consumption. We are reduced more or less 1-7% of the total consumption of, of fuel and we are increasing uh, the number of passengers uh, with a more rational uh, uh, grid. I think that this is a very important point that everybody must to think about it because it has not is not very expensive and don't need uh, changes in our company. And of course, the other is uh, to replace uh, all the diesel buses with uh, uh, more clean solutions. In this line, we have three strat strategic lines. One was uh, one began 20 years ago when we uh, began to to buy uh, CNG buses. In this moment, more or less, one the 50 percent of our five zero of our fleet is CNGs. For this reason, uh, we are very interested in biomethane. And the other two are, uh, of course, uh, electric buses. And in the last two years, uh, hydrogen buses. We have a small fleet with eight uh, hydrogen buses, and we will increase it next year uh, up to 48. Can I come in? Um, yeah, I find it interesting that only lately you have been starting to bet on hydrogen buses. Um, I read somewhere that the life, life cycle cost of a hydrogen bus is double the one of an electric bus. Correct me no, if I'm no, wrong. No, it's not right. Um, <laughs> why did you do that? Is it just... In, no, no, it was including fuel and everything, and it was. Yeah, yeah. In this moment, uh, our uh, uh, cost uh, to operate a hydrogen bus is more or less the same than diesel bus. The cost of maintenance is, is very, very low with hydrogen bus, and the cost of energy we have a, a fixed cost for the first two years in operation with our. Uh, uh, with Iberdrola is our provider of, of hydrogen and uh, probably this cost will increase next year with uh, the actualization of the price but in this moment we pay more or less the same in 15 years life for a diesel bus that for a hydrogen bus um, but it doesn't run on green sorry yes yes how green, is it green? Hydrogen. Yes. How do you certify it? And where do you get the green uh, uh, hydrogen we, from? Iberdrola is a, is a very big energy provider in Spain. Oh, uh, it comes we, from Iberdrola? Yes. Okay. We, we buy only uh, hydrogen produced with uh, certified uh, electricity. It's the only guarantee that we can have. Okay. You wanted to comment. Yeah, it is very interesting because uh, also for us, uh, uh, we believe that um, 
an operator has to be neutral on the technology. And so this is why we have three hydrogen buses. And we have also a plant to produce hydrogen. But uh, it is really interesting uh, here, uh, the Spain experience, because at the moment, uh, our uh, um, study related to total cost of ownership yeah. for green hydrogen uh, show us that it's not so similar to the electric uh, experience. And well. so I think that it is important to push to try to experiment again this type of technologies. Well, I, I read, when I read the, the statistics, so what I read was that ICCT published that for the first time, battery and hybrid buses overtook in the share, uh, share of sales, diesel buses, which is like, I work more on the energy side. It's like, wow, for the first time, renewables produce more than coal. You know, it's this moment yeah, we celebrate. So I guess it's the same for you. Um, the share of hydrogen buses was 1%. Batteries and hybrid very close to each other around 30%. So that's what the picture is. And diesel shares basically dropping dramatically. I think it's also very important the type of operation because yeah. now we choose the electric because our services in the city is okay for the electric capacity in kilometers and so on. Maybe for the suburban area could be really interesting also hydrogen. Why would you say that? Because uh, the kilometers of the services increase a lot and maybe the capacity of the battery is not enough for uh, 1000 kilometers per day. And so the right balancing of the technology is uh, a driver to choose the right technology. Well, I've, I've heard that most run on a range of 300 and can do on one charge. In London, the buses run on one charge 90%. So, and the rest you can do. I actually cycle past an on-road charging station in Brussels every day. Yeah, so it's, it's in the center of town. You, and they sit there for 10 minutes and gives them a new range of 30 to 40. So... Uh, I was wondering why they always stand there so long, and then <laughs> I found out why. <laughs> so, Julius, maybe could you just come in here on a, from a hydrogen perspective, hydrogen buses, hydrogen transport for heavier transport, I guess, buses, but also other tr logistics transport. Are you seeing a similar trend across Europe? Uh, personally, no. Yeah. Um, so in terms of uh, logistics, we're not seeing a major push for hydrogen. Uh, we're seeing certain requests here and there from time to time, but uh, in, in not regarding the, the transport sector. So, Oh, yeah. Are you looking at hydrogen for your uh, either bus or boat fleets? Um, not specifically. Uh, kind of like Paul said that we, we as a PD, uh, PTA should be technology neutral in that sense. But at the same time, we have a strategy at our, uh, the region that says that we shall electrify our bus fleet and uh, that should be based on battery electric buses charging on depot during night. Uh, of course, that doesn't mean that that's the, so the sole solution because as Paulo mentioned, all lines may not be suitable for that. And we have also a challenge. Our region is very, very big and we have very long routes to the, to the outer parts of, of the countryside in Stockholm that right now are challenging in that sense. Or even the most trafficked um, bus line in the city. It's not that clear that we can electrify it with the current technology. We need to look at a, a bit more. We need to talk to the industry and see what can you offer us? We have this challenge. How do we solve it? But for, for us, uh, hydrogen could have uh, um, a market. We are not, as I said, we have no direct uh, mandate to look at it, but we are following up the industry because we see that it could help us. We don't know if it will be for the bus or the boats, but uh, those are the two areas or the two modes of transfer for us where they could potentially, and I want to stress that they potentially have a role because <laughs> we have no yeah. clear um, strategy for hydrogen at the moment. Um, you just talked um, a bit about the Stockholm region's policy in general. And that was actually a point I wanted to ask you um, to understand better to what extent you are here decarbonizing your transport network all by yourself or to what extent this is part of a bigger strategy. I assume, you know, there's someone 
you talk to who tells you about the electricity grid rollout, which you depend on, right? Or I don't know, uh, the, the, the city's general strategy uh, on where to source the renewables from. So how does, how is your work framed by the city? Or are actually you the one to blame for the new Stockholm decision with the banning of the cars? Is it all you deciding no, these things? No, actually <laughs> not. I, I need to point out that in Stockholm, I, I, we, I represent the regional Okay, you have nothing to Stockholm do with... Stockholm the, the city and the municipality, they do all their stuff. Okay. We, we do talk to them, but we are not the same entity, so they do their stuff, uh, we do our stuff. We, we, but we, in our case, we need to talk to... All the municipalities in the Stockholm region, there's 26 of them. Then as a politically governed organization, we, we receive a mandate from our politicians. So for example, if the, if the political majority will now tell us, um, hey, what about hardening? Could you have a look to it and see if it is possible? Then we will, we will definitely take that challenge and say, we will have a look at it and, and, and see. Uh, but... We need to always remember we are a politically um, um, governed organization, so we need to collaborate with our politicians. They have their own goals. They set the goals for the whole region, not only us, also for, for, for the health part. So we need to try to fit in those goals because this goal of cutting emissions, it's not just for a public transport, it's for the whole regional operation. So hospitals and us. Yeah. And at the same time, as you mentioned, we need to talk to the greater owners. We don't own, we do own our parts of a rail grid, but not the grid in Stockholm. So we need to yeah. talk to the grid owners to see whenever we want to electrify a depot, say, okay, we have this depot, this many buses, yeah. we, uh, we believe we need this much energy. Is it possible? Because okay. it doesn't matter if we, if we yeah, want to yeah, electrify yeah. our depot, but then there's no, there's no power coming exactly. in. Exactly. We, we oh, need to really understand that we are part of a point. Exactly. We, yeah. need to be a, we need to understand that we are part of a system. Yeah. That everybody has to collaborate to have an, a stable and sustainable system. So we are just a player <laughs> in, yeah. in this. Okay. Uh, Mario, uh, could you perhaps give some insight on um, your relationship with other public bodies, with the government? Do you work with those guys as well in order to, to make the decisions that you've, yes. you've made? Uh, in, in our case, Barcelona is a, as a curious geographic position because we have the sea in one side and the mountain in in another and we cannot grow uh, and Barcelona uh, adds to the metropolitan area other municipalities around around them uh, our owner is AMB is a metropolitan area from Barcelona uh, then uh, is uh, uh, has 36 municipalities then uh, define the strategies uh, for TMB and in our, in our case for electric connection we have one, one chance that uh, TMB uh, is not only surface bus transport uh, we have metro too yeah. and we, uh, we can connect uh, directly to metro grid uh, with energy when they don't need it in the uh, really? to charge our buses okay. it's more easy and more cheap <laughs> you charge in the metro grid no with the same with the, metro yeah. grid yes, yes. Yeah, or, uh, for example the uh, the depot where I work uh, uh, is over a uh, metro depot yeah. you only must you plug in. put yeah. a, a wire and connect <laughs> uh, and Paolo how about what's your experience with working with municipalities other governments national government are they generally supportive I think that in this match, the help and the strategy uh, share with uh, national level, local level. Uh, let me say also with uh, uh, the association. For example, we work with uh, Wikipedia and uh, it is a really important uh, team where together try to understand the best way to uh, put together the needs of the government and the operator. Because also in Milan, we operate in Milan, but also in 100 municipalities around Milan. And uh, it's quite simple, uh, quite difficult, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> quite difficult uh, uh, to match the needs of uh, the regional uh, necessity, uh, the local of a big city like Milan, and try to uh, be attractive also for investors because the amount of uh, the funds we need could change towards electricity is really difficult. Yeah. 
if I remember correctly, Milano is uh, part of the C40, exactly. right? And you were calling, I remember at some point when the European Commission was putting the recovery fund, you wanted a program to support the green fleet. What has become of that? And did the Italian recovery plan pick your proposal up? Yeah, it's uh, uh, really match our strategy. Yeah. In fact, starting from the next generation uh, new, yeah. with, we passed to Italian funds, and also with the C40, that is not a real fund, but is a strong commitment yeah. from the mayor of our municipality yeah. that drive our choice. Let me say that is not easy, because, for example, the national law um, uh, help to buy the buses. But at the moment, we have no a clear vision of the infrastructure. And, for example, this is an important point, because when I change from a diesel yeah. to electric, I'm changing the process the way to manage a fleet. And so I can, I think that uh, operator with their knowledge uh, can help the government uh, to try to find the right path. Yeah. And what do you think about, um, I think they're discussing that at the moment at EU level, um, a certain green share in public procurement. Would you generally... Would you generally endorse it? Because I think one of you in the preparatory talk said that the premium is quite high that you pay for green. But if you increase that market and many start buying those buses, that is that the way to go? What would you think? I think you said that you pay a higher price for for exactly, the for, we, we pay for, for, you we pay for the certificates. You and have that's a specially cost. exactly, and because we we do we brand or our rail and bus services are branded uh, with an eco label a label a, called Bromilio which yeah. is a Swedish eco label, which yeah. on top of uh, requiring green energy um, also requests a certain a certain amount of money allocated to some climate funds, among other things. Okay. So it is a premium we are paying for, uh, but we, we do it voluntarily. Okay. No one tells us you need to do that. In that sense. I mean, we do it because we believe on that. Of course, um, that's an added cost. Yeah. But uh, as of today, we believe it's worth on doing it. We could, uh, of, of course, there will be more people um, applying and wanting to get such certificates. There's also the risk that prices will go up. Yeah. Or if the demand or if the... If the, if there's not enough uh, certific such certificates to um, mm. match the demand, so it can be a double-edged mm. um, weapon in that sense. Mm. Uh, but I hope that m more people do it. Yeah, I was a bit struck because I, I I don't work on the transport side usually, and we've been in our work in Agorena, given that pushing a lot for this green premium to be visible for industry and the leaders. You know, like I don't know a car fact manufacturer that then can say we this car is green steel, and there was a willingness. But in transport, is also a social aspect, right? So exactly. It's an important social aspect. For example, when you uh, move towards electricity, you change also air quality, also noise quality yeah. in yeah. the city. And uh, let me say that uh, the social uh, input that an operator can give is also to push not a greenwash, but uh, try yeah. to push to build new plants, exactly. new self-production plant, and yeah. so on. And uh, for us, uh, it is uh, really important to understand the correct mix of yeah. our purchase. At the moment, we purchase yeah. a lot of energy on the market, but yeah. uh, by 2024, we will activate a PPAs for 20 gigawatt hour per year to try to understand this type of market because it's quite uh, new. Half an hour of discussion, the first time someone said PPA. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Just building on that, what role does public perception play in your strategies? Are you listening to the citizens that are using your services? Have you had any negative reaction to the introduction of uh, either electric or hydrogen powered buses? In our case, there is uh, only positive reaction for the for the passengers. But uh, really, we must make a very, very hard uh, effort to uh, show that this is an electric bus. People don't, don't mm. know it. 
people don't think it's like a, a waste of a day. Yeah, Are you having to raise ticket enough. prices as a result? Or? No, no, no. Ticket prices is the same. Only, right. only change the vehicle, and uh, usually the user don't don't mm. feel the difference. Right. Uh, what about in Stockholm? In that case, I could I could suggest you what we do in Stockholm because we do we do label we have a, a vehicle uh, on the front side of the bus that says what kind of uh, fuel it runs on, right. and that's uh, something that it's been on for for a lot. I don't know exactly so how many years, but many let's years. say five, six, seven, maybe 10 years. And it says, I mean, it's biodiesel or it's ethanol, electric bus, just for people to realize, okay, this is green. This is good. I mean, we, we do try because our main goal is to get as many uh, citizens as possible using public transport. That's how we really make a difference, uh, how we help the environment. So we try to catch their attention with that, that, that kind of stuff and also simply by promoting all the good stuff we do related to climate and energy on our social media on with ads on the metro this summer we had ads on the metro kind of reminding people like did you know that since 2018 our bus fleet runs on renewable fuels for example that some that kind of easy um messages mm. um and we have the advantage of the Swedish society and the stock in particular being already very environmentally minded. So it is easy to sell them the, mm. um, uh, our, our advantage as a green alternative to cars. Uh, but I know that it is not the same thing for all the cities. So the other cities may have other challenges mm. in that sense. But at the end, we provide a public service and we try to show that on top of being a public service, it's a good public service for the environment. <laughs> Hi everyone, me again. Please do rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. It really helps us out, means we can make more shows like this, and means more people can find us. Also, a quick reminder to subscribe to Foresight Climate and Energy so you don't miss out on any of our other podcasts or long-form journalism. Head to the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe. Is decarbonisation of your fleets now an important um, pillar in your strategy in attracting people to the public transport? Obviously, public transport services suffered a little bit during the pandemic. People aren't mm. using public transport quite as much as they perhaps used to. Mm. Is this now a very a key element of trying to attract people back into using your services? I would say that it, uh, it has always been a, a key part of our strategy. But uh, for us, it's also important to provide the service that our citizens need. Mm. Um, as I mentioned, it's a very broad uh, region with very different, very different uh, uh, geographically. Mm. Uh, so we need to see how can we best serve the citizens at the region of Stockholm and how can we take public transport way to where they are. Mm. It happens to be that we try always to do it uh, with renewable uh, fuels, mm. but it is not maybe the sole and main reason in that right. sense. Mm. What about in Milan? Also, Milan, uh, it's, uh, it's not an issue because uh, uh, the operator could be an integrated mobility provider. In fact, we manage also, for example, bike sharing and mm. other systems that uh, can help to understand our citizens that uh, the usage of uh, public transport uh, is uh, a really uh, goal to reach a more livable, more sustainable cities. So I think um, there is not an issue to move towards electricity. And also the uh, increase of uh, the cost of energy to reach this goal. Mario, I'd like yeah. to come to you. Um, could you explain the approach of, of TMB uh, in adopting hydrogen buses, including the combination of public and private funds for the infrastructure? You mentioned Iberdrola's providing the hydrogen um, how does that relationship work uh, in your experience? In 2017, we was in Jive 2 project. It's an European project to to subside the the, the cost of uh, hydrogen buses. Uh, and, and our partners in in this project usually uh, use uh, specific infrastructures in the in their. Uh, facilities uh, to refuel buses. Uh, we studied this possibility, but it was very expensive for us and has no sense to, to um, install an uh, hydro hydrogenizer, compressors, and all the facilities uh, to do that. Uh, we decided to uh, launch two tenders, one to buy hy uh, hydrogen buses uh, with uh, public funds, 
and the second one uh, to buy the hydrogen to one uh, provider that uh, must uh, cover some specifications. One of them is uh, to install one production um, and refueling infrastructure in a definite uh, zone in very near of our depot, but this must be a public uh, infrastructure. Everybody can can refuel hydrogen vehicles. The reality is that in this moment only use <laughs> TMB, this infrastructure, but, but the, the HRS infrastructure was uh, built with a private Funds from Iberdrola and the buses are buy it with uh, sorry with private funds with public funds from TMB and uh, European subsidies. So what advantages are there? You said you've you've got about half your fleet. I think is electrified. You're using a couple of hydrogen buses and biofuel buses. What are the advantages of having a mix of technologies? And would there not be um, economies of scale by provide by just going for one technology? Uh, in our case, uh, is an operative uh, reason. Uh, as uh, other PTOs, uh, our buses are on the road 18 hours every day. Uh, there is no problem we, in general, but in summertime, uh, we have a lot of problems to arrive to this autonomy. Uh, electric vehicles uh, are very, very difficult. Uh, in this case, uh, I hope that uh, hydrogen buses give up the chance to still in the road uh, all this uh, 18 hour and a mix from uh, electrics in rush hours and hydrogen in a long time uh, services uh, can be an, an, a very good solution for us. Adding uh, CNG with biomethane buses, right. of course. I think this could actually be an interesting factor also when looking at the logistics companies mm -hmm. because they also tend to operate vehicle fleets that are diverse. So they have different vehicle types and also different vehicle ages that they're operating. So it's very difficult to have a unified decarbonization strategy. Um, but I've realized that uh, in talking to these companies that this could also be a strength to be leveraged because they can gradually approach the replacement of the existing vehicles with more renewables um, and also keep that diversification within their vehicle fleet. So then to see, okay, for my electric vehicle fleet, which applications is it the most effective for our yeah. operations? And then for biomethane fleet, which applications can it tackle the best way? And in having that diversification, also see where further investments can improve operations. Would you say that in uh, public transport, this could be a valuable lesson or how do you? Yes, in public transport is, uh, is uh, another situation, at least uh, in, in our case, that we have urban vehicles and the requirements are, are different. Uh, in delivery and in, in intercity uh, transport is another scenario. I, I, I think that uh, we, it's very difficult to make a, tra a, a track uh, to move, uh, to make deliveries uh, for a long distance with uh, electric vehicles. But there are other options to solve this issue with hydrogen and biomethane. If I can bring in a very opinionated person with whom we had a, the, the last live podcast, Michael Liebreich, he just published a new version of the hydrogen ladder. So where basically he ranks future uses and sectors and applications of hydrogen. And he put in the bottom, urban metro rail buses is for him, no, no application for hydrogen. Uh, but what you just talked about, uh, long distance trucks, there he sees a share of hydrogen. So that's the picture that he gives at the moment. But was very clear on, I'm sorry to say, Mr. from Barcelona. <laughs> but he was very clear saying that for the urban, he doesn't see it. Uh, ask him what happened with weight of buses. Uh, with what? The, the, uh, we have one really big problem with weight of bus, electric buses. There are some ones where we only can uh, uh, use it for 77 passengers. For a 12-meter buses, because the maximum weight is around 20 or 32 tons, depending on the chassis, and the weight of batteries 
uh, uh, don't allow to put more passengers. With an hydrogen bus, we reduce this weight in three, four tons than or 14, 40, sorry, passengers. It's a very, very important issue. And you must take in I would assume that he would have looked at such factors because he said he looks at the cost, he looks at safety, he looks at costs of alternatives. So what I would assume that these kind of things would have entered his assessment. But uh, yeah, maybe you can have a look and comment because yeah. I would like to understand that. Yeah. Paolo, you were... I think that uh, technology on electric is running really fast. In fact, uh, uh, by the end of the year, we uh, will have uh, 250 electric buses. But if I think when uh, we start with our first 25 buses in 2017, yeah. we have a lot of issues. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, we have a lot of issues regarding the weight because yeah. uh, we have uh, the same volume of battery for 100 kilometers capacity, not enough. In only five exactly. years, now we have the same value with more or less 200 double kilometers yeah. capacity and with the help of opportunity charger installed in the city. Now and we have a 14 yeah. opportunity charger. We are able to cover 300 kilometers. That's what I heard. And also the yeah. technology of the battery are less yeah. weak for the same. It reminds me this picture of the first computer that filled the whole room, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. is the now same. on our phone, no? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Moving on to PPAs then. Um, what sort of experience as a public body uh, have you had in navigating the PPA market and um, signing? You, you mentioned you, you're signing a, a PPA yourselves. Can you tell us a little bit about that process uh, uh, and the difficulties you found, given that you're a public body? Yeah, it's really. Do you have to draft it or uh, do you get help? <laughs> <laughs> Let me say that uh, the PPA is uh, a really interesting matter because uh, help the operator to fix the price of energy for a lo mid long term. But uh, it's not so clear uh, how to approach the market because uh, there are a lot of uh, PPAs, physical, virtual, uh, pay as per use or uh, payload. And, uh, yeah. exactly, and operator needs the energy in uh, we get strange curve on the gay. For example, for the micro lines, we need a lot of energy during the gay. Mm -hmm. For the opportunity for the overnight charging of the bus, we need a lot of energy during the night. Yeah. So our choice is for the next year start with a small amount of PPAs uh, purchase. As mentioned before, we will buy 20 gigawatt hours mm -hmm. to understand also. Uh, the market yeah. because in Italy at the moment uh, we know that there are one or two PPA activated. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not mm -hmm. a huge market yet. Um, Oye, what about your experience with PPAs uh, and how, is the, how are the recent fluctuating power prices impacting, uh, impacting those? Well, we do not have any PPAs uh, right now, although we, we procure our um, electricity through a partner. So that, that part is procured by ourselves and they buy the electricity uh, for us, except for the commuter trains, where, uh, which we source it from the state authority. Um, so we don't have it, but it, in our contract, there's a, there's a door open for that. But it is nothing that we have at the moment. But fluctuating uh, prices um, have, uh, among other things, um, I mean, make it more uh, complicated for us, um, especially after the pandemic, where... Um, we are seeing that, at least in Stockholm, um, um, customers are not coming back in the same way. Uh, they are coming back in the outer ring of the region, let's say. But in the inner city, we are still, I think that the last thing we were talking about is like still 20% down wow. from before really? the pandemic. Um, yeah, because yeah, people were more from home. So they don't uh, go Monday to Friday two times per yeah, day on true. public transport. Yeah. Um, so we are, okay. we are seeing that. So we, we are not yet back to those uh, levels. Um, and, that and, and higher prices affects our margins, but affects mm -hmm. also our operators' margins. Uh, in our cases, yeah. for example, contracts can be eight to 10 years with some options. 
if that contract was maybe um, made in the mid 2010s, they calculate the whole price on certain circumstances, and maybe the price that we have now, both for, for electricity, but, or, but also for fuels, is completely different. So it is challenging not also for us, uh, as the PTA, but also for our operators, which we procure. Um, and for example, high prices and fuels have made, um, have avoided us reaching our goal for the um, boat traffic, for example. We should have uh, used, eight, I think it was 80% renewable fuels uh, 2022. It was 56, because it's way, too, it is very expensive, uh, mm -hmm. for, for example. Uh, and we are seeing that our, some of our operators are, just for price reasons, are moving from HVO to um, RME instead. Because it is cheaper right now, even though you need to convert the, the, and make some changes to the bus, it is still cheaper. So yes. it is tricky, and, but we see that both ourselves and our partners are trying to navigate it the best way possible and, fi and find yeah. how can we make it sustainable, how can we make it work for us. Couldn't you just buy a PPA from one of your very cheap northern <laughs> Swedish zones and you're covered? Yeah. Um, Isn't that a no regret? I mean, we do already buy the electricity, the, the electricity ourselves, um, but then each of our operators have the con them that need to get their own electricity um, contract for each of the depots. So we do not buy the electricity for the whole system for everything. We just buy it for rail, for example. So because okay. easily said, procuring our traffic is very tricky, very complex. So it, okay. it is very difficult because uh, sometimes it is not. A solution that works for all in that okay. sense it's not the same as in milan or in barcelona <laughs> we have our special um, um features that we need to okay. uh, navigate in that sense but maybe it could be a, a solution <laughs> uh, i'm not saying yes or no. everyone in europe is <laughs> always yeah. jealous of this cheap uh, northern swedish electricity and and we, and we believe it's getting uh, more expensive and more expensive so <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, Julius, are you seeing uh, the fluctuating power prices maybe suppressing demand for decarbonization of transport more widely? Um, I wouldn't say suppressing demand, but it, it makes the planning more difficult across the board. Um, but we're seeing a, a clear uptick in the way that renewable power is sourced. So we're seeing more attention being drawn to the installation that we're sourcing the energy from. Um, and therefore... Uh, also a higher willingness to, to pay and uh, also more focus on the, the way that renewable energy can fit into the decarbonization strategies. So we're seeing more focus um, and harder planning difficulties with the fluctuating prices. Mario, Barcelona's experience with PPAs? Uh, in bus service, we don't have PPAs for electricity. We have PPAs for for other kind of of energy, uh, because as I said, uh, we are uh, with Metro and it's Metro who buy uh -huh. the electricity, sure. not alone. Uh, Metro buy electricity with, with a part partnership of uh, different railways operators in in Spain altogether. Right, Paolo. Very quickly, um, and I want to get to questions from the audience soon, but um, what other opportunities have grown as a result of uh, shifting to electric transport, charging all of your buses? Are you able to provide things like grid services or vehicle-to-grid charging as well? Yeah, electricity and new fleet is an opportunity for us also to um, make some experimentation on the vehicle-to-grid, for example. We in uh, one of our depot, we install an experimental uh, station with uh, batteries that can assure in uh, some periodical day to give all the network or to the bus. And from the bus to the network to, uh, for example, uh, uh, not have the peak of uh, uh, energy request uh, to the network. And, uh, Again, for us, it's really important also try to um, new equipment. For example, with a new train, new buses, the level of consumption is low. Mm. So not only try to buy only green power, but mm. also reduce the needs to uh, the network. I'd be curious, do you have any assessment on how the air quality would improve in Milan if you were to achieve your target to be completely electric in 2030. Do you have any insights into that, what it would do for the air 
Ja, we hebben also measuring some uh, yeah. key API and parameters regarding CO2 and also um, uh, agling detector yeah. and uh, we have uh, seen some improvement. That's already some improvement. Yes, yes yeah. some improvement. And uh, it's a good result yeah, for us. Great. Similar experiences in your cities? In quality, in, in Barcelona, there is a lot of private uh, vehicles running every, every day. And public transport is only the 3% of, of air quality pollution. As, but the impact is very, very low. Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's more an example. I, I think that it's important, yeah. again, having a holistic view of the city. Mm -hmm. In fact, mm -hmm. uh, when we speak about the quality of gear, Usually we put together, I mentioned before, the bike sharing, but also, for example, the low emission zone. In Milan, we have a strong plan that put together electric bus, low emission mm -hmm. zone, bike sharing, together, mm -hmm. create mm -hmm. a more sustainable city. Okay. And what about uh, maybe on-site production of renewables? Yeah. Have you installed your own solar panels? Do you have a, you know, public bodies own a lot of public land? Can you s install your own turbines and your own solar panels on those sort of lands? In Barcelona, at least there is no space for a big plants to to no. produce uh, electricity. What about smaller s solar arrays across bus shelters and train stations? And yes, we all, all our the roof of our, our depots and non uh, are equipped with solar uh, yep. panels, but uh, it's, it's not enough to move the the, <laughs> the vast fleet. <laughs> <laughs> and in Stockholm, uh, in our case, we do have solar panels installed on the roof of one of our commuter train depots as well as on a bus depot, and we are currently looking at expanding that scheme to try to. Uh, have more uh, solar power, uh, but we are doing th this together. As we were talking previously, collaboration together with the um, healthcare system in Stockholm, because they have a lot of hospitals, they are exactly. also looking they can at, also cover. Co at, yeah. at also generating power themselves. Yeah. So we are trying yeah. to see together with them, how can we solve it from a yeah. region mm. perspective? And, that's, and I, th I thought I would like to, to take up on something that uh, Paolo mentioned, Please. where I believe it's really, really key here energy efficiency. I mean, we, we ourselves have realized that it doesn't matter if, if we electrify everything, yeah. all our services, each and every vehicle, we are not going to meet our target. Yeah. We need to be smarter. We need to consume just the energy that we really need. And this is something that, that actually is applicable to the whole society. We should mm. be smarter and just mm. use that energy that we really need. Mm. Mm. Uh, there's going to be an uptake on electricity need in the current decades as we electrify everything. Mm. Uh, but we need to be smart. We need to be careful. Uh, we need to make it right. We need to just. We need to. I think it's not. Energy efficiency is not talked enough. <laughs> That's why I wanted to. to no, absolutely, that. a really good point. Does that mean things like changing bus routes uh, and other services or boat routes? In our case, is switching to electric buses because then yeah. we get an efficiency in mm -hmm. the energy we use. Yes. But also ventilation. Okay. Um, using using the um, uh, air conditioning in our um, mm. heating system in our buses and our vehicles in a smarter way, mm. for example, that, that, that drains as as, as Mario said that drains the batteries. I mean, it's it's really key. Um, you can do a lot of things. For example, in the boats, uh, if there's no one uh, waiting in the uh, in the shore, okay, not stopping, like having a system so you know if there's someone waiting, so you don't need to reduce the speed. And then mm. speed up again to use it. Um, uh. You can you, start, you can apply everything at the end of the day. Absolutely. We have a question from the audience on self-production uh, and our railway infrastructure managers keen on introducing solar panels as part of railway infrastructure. Is there any specific experiences you have with your rail networks? In Austria, I remember they were doing mm. that a lot because they owned the land alongside the rail. So I remember, but what I don't remember is how much of a dent, it, you know, how right. much can it supply mm. sure. that I don't, you know, is it 1% 10 <laughs> I, that I don't remember. But yeah, because they owned all the land yeah. along it. No other experiences? At the moment, we have a two megawatt of solar panel. And um, after a recent uh, analysis, uh, we will reach... Uh, Covering all of yeah. our roof or depot, uh, yeah. uh, sixteen megawatts. Okay, but uh, is uh, not much enough. Uh, to, uh, 
Yeah, like how much percent? It's really important because we are now um, thinking also to speak with uh, some developer yeah. to try to build some off-site plant. Yeah. Do you have any questions uh, in the audience? Yeah, there's a lady uh, just in the middle there. Just can you just wait for the microphone to come? Please introduce yourself and your uh, company as well. Hi, I'm Marianne from Euroelectric. I'm going to ask a question that has nothing to do with Euroelectric, <laughs> though. Uh, thanks a lot for, for the discussion. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, buses, electric buses, hydrogen buses. But I wonder, what are the incentives in place for people to reduce or, or completely give up um, private car usage? Um, you know, car-free days, low emission zones, uh, supports for uh, shared electric micromobility, uh, hubs for electric bikes, scooters. Uh, what do you do there in that space? Thanks. Anyone want to say that? Any, any? Don't <laughs> 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 we'll jump at once? <laughs> uh, yeah, we believe that uh, this approach is uh, a key strategic key pillars to promote uh, electricity and a uh, new way to live the city. Are you providing any of those services? Do you provide yes, electric bikes? Yes, we provide bike sharing system and uh, both uh, muscular and uh, electric system and um, uh, local public transport and so on. Mario? For me, the, the only way is to provide the, the use of private uh, vehicles because uh, in the moment that you improve the public transport uh, and people move to private car to public transport, the private car runs better. <laughs> Do you observe that that actually happens? Uh, that you see a shift from car to... Uh, I don't pay public transport. And sometimes <laughs> I go to my, to my job in, in the bike, <laughs> the motorbike. Again, let me say that it is important to have a clear strategy. For example, another pillar for us is to improve our parking stall around the city. At the moment, we have 20 parking stalls around the city that are integrated to the local public transport system. And so this is... A promote uh, the natural passing from mm -hmm. the private car to the public transport uh, mm. system. Because it really depends on the necessity of our mm. customer. We know, for example, that uh, the way of life of our citizens uh, is changed. Before COVID, uh, every uh, person go to work at 8 o'clock and come back home at 5 o'clock. Now is really different. Uh, what about Stockholm? Any other sort of other services you're providing to shift people away from the car? Well, what we try, as I mentioned uh, before, is to provide the best service possible. And our our geography is our our biggest challenge in that sense. Uh, we it's it's very hard to believe that someone living out on the countryside is going to give up their car just because we provide an excellent public transport. They are still going to need it for many other things. But what we try is to make it so easy and so comfortable, so reliable that for most of your, need, all your needs, you don't need a car. Of course, the closer to the city center you live, the easier it's going to be. Uh, if, you don't, if you are just a single person or just a couple without kids, it's also easier. You're, it depends a lot on your, on your life. And, and I think that, as my colleagues here said, I mean, you need to have a clear strategy, but you need to understand that all the people are different and you, and you are not going to be able to, to convince everyone to leave their car at home or to even convince them to hop on your uh, services. But you need to try to provide the, a broad array of services so it is easy for you to forget that maybe you own a car. And there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution. You know, we can't go, if this strategy works in Barcelona, it's going to work in Stockholm. Uh, I think, I mean, there's a lot that you can learn from. We can learn from each other. I mean, that, that's a basic thing. That, and I think that's something that the public transport is very good at. Talking to, get, talking to each other and trying to learn from what do you do. Maybe what, what uh, Milano does could work for us also. But you cannot, you cannot start from a point where you say, this is going to work just because it worked there. Um, mm -hmm. You need to understand your, um, dif the differences and your particularities as with everything. From Clima Society. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's not that the climate in the Stockholm and in Barcelona is slightly <laughs> different. Also. So, uh, you have the same problem with the batteries in summer as we have in winter. I mean, same yeah. problem, different perspectives. Uh, <laughs> we don't have heating systems in, in winter. <laughs> yeah, there's a question in the middle there. Uh, if you could just wait for the microphone, please introduce yourself. Hi, um, my name is Neil Marshall from Natural Power. Um, Paolo, you mentioned you're looking at off-site 
procurement of renewables. Um, does Milano have a sort of specific additional additionality requirements from those generators, uh, or will you buy from any from any renewable project? They have to be new to earth. No, we are. Um, I, I'm not sure that I understand the question, but uh, we are uh, open to the market, uh, and uh, we are really trying to understand uh, uh, the correct way to buy electricity. And the uh, idea is to understand the amount of the mix of the cell production, market, and PPAs. And uh, for the PPAs, to understand uh, the best way also for the save money and uh, choose the right um, operator. But even for PPA, you can source already existing renewables capacity or it can be drafted in a way that you buy renewables that were installed not later than blah, blah, blah. And that's the additionality, right? That you don't eat what already exists. We are speaking with some uh, developer that uh, are putting on the market some field. And mm -hmm. uh, we are really interested in this uh, uh, action because for us is a push to build new plants. Exactly. That's and the so additionality. this is why we are trying to uh, arrange this type of uh, project. I have one more question from the audience uh, on the iPad here uh, from Tin Anicic. Uh, hopefully pronounced that right. Uh, would it be more effective to introduce more trolley, bus trolley buses or trams uh, rather than electric buses with limited battery capacity, especially bearing in mind the not-so-green origin of batteries as well? Are you planning to shift away from buses to either trams or other forms of low-carbon transport? In our case, we don't consider the use of catenaries in the city. You can't or you don't? No. no. We have uh, two lines of tram. Not, uh, the owner is not TMB and it's not in our uh, business line. So you cannot have more, you say? You cannot have catenaries for... Yeah, we don't want to have catenaries. Okay. In, in our case, we looked at it uh, when we did our electrification study. We looked at all kinds mm. of technologies for electric buses, among others, uh, trolley buses. And um, we come to the conclusion that it was not the best fit for us. Uh, there's only one municipality or one city in, in, in the whole Sweden who has trolley buses. I think it's like 10 of them. So it's mm. not a big thing for us. But I really like the point on batteries sustainability because uh, mm. that's something that we are very keen on. And uh, if I will, uh, if I could just summarize mm, our please. view on that is, uh, it needs it just it, it's not just green it needs to be sustainable, and that means in each and every aspect, uh, socially, of course, economically and environmentally. But up until now, the social aspect of electrification has been avoided, neglected, um, parked, call it as you wish, <laughs> uh, but it hasn't uh, it hasn't been on the spotlight, and I think. Mm. We are trying to put it on the spotlight again, so I think that mm -hmm. I hope this comes up uh, mm -hmm. with renewed strength uh, in the coming years. Really good point. Uh, just finally, on uh, trams and trolley buses in Milan. Yes, we have uh, an important network of uh, trolley bus and uh, trams. We believe that uh, uh, they are a backbone of our uh, network. Okay. In fact, uh, trolley bus uh, for us is a uh, quite a micro line because it's a circle line mm. that covers a circular uh, cash point mm -hmm. to the micro network. And uh, Clamways has a high capacity network, radial uh, structure that helps to the final network of the buses that is more capillar. Very quickly, um, Julius, I want to come to you. I know time's up and people will want their lunch. What are the main challenges uh, that logistics companies are facing when implementing their decarbonisation strategies? Um, and what lessons are there that the public transport sector can probably learn from them? Um, I would say one of the biggest challenges is the high initial investment costs that mm. companies are facing when they are looking to implement more sustainable um, sources. Um, and we see that the approach that the logistics companies have is typically to enter into conversation with uh, government bodies for grants and incentive schemes, but also to start the conversation with the end clients to see who is willing to pay for this uptick in charge. It's a very difficult conversation, <laughs> but uh, it is being started. Um, I would say that's one of the main challenges. Uh, the second main challenges are uh, 
I would say range and infrastructure limitations because electric vehicles uh, are still quite limited in terms of uh, range as opposed to their um, fossil fuel counterparts. Um, and we're seeing now an increase in the buildup of uh, electrical charging infrastructure. And um, I would say those are the two main challenges to keep it very short. <laughs> no, perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, sadly, that is all we have time for this week. My thanks uh, to Julius, Paolo, Oye, Mario, and of course, Michaela. Thanks to the resource team for hosting, the AV team at the back, and to our lovely audience. If you have any questions for the team uh, or our panelists, you can tweet the show at whatmatterspod or email us show at whatmatterspodcast.com. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you.